It's such a privilege to bring the word today, and I'd like to welcome those who are joining us online. A few of you have had to stay home, and some other people uh, are also joining. Uh, we'll be joining the message or listening to the message after now through the podcasts and the videos. I want to welcome you all. If you are new to the church, we have a LiveGate Outreach TV channel on YouTube. We have had it for about uh, seven years since the church was basically inaugurated. And then we are also, since 2017, we have all our Sunday messages on podcasts, both in iOS and Android platforms. So you can find them more than 16 different channels that you can find them there. They are audio, but you can always download and send them. And uh, we teach in series, so you will find that a set of messages, about five to six, uh, five to eight, or five to nine messages are usually part of a series. So try to get everyone if you can, because it allows you to follow through what the thought of God was concerning the topic at that time. So I want to encourage you to use that. They are all free resources, and um, we're we're a very, very spoiled generation. In my days, even your own church messages, you had to buy them if you wanted to keep a memory of what (laughs) what was preached. When I say my days, I mean when I was much younger. And uh, we had to buy them because uh, we didn't want to lose those messages. Now they're there for us free of charge. Let us appreciate God and use them and share them accordingly. There are times you will listen to a message and somebody will flash to your mind. Maybe a testimony was shared in the message. Maybe a, a revelation was given in the message. And somehow God will just bring the picture of somebody somewhere, you know, back in Africa or in America, anywhere, anywhere, or right here in, in our country. And um, what God is saying is they need that message, basically. So just share it with them and say, this, this message might bless you. I believe it will bless you. Listen to it and be encouraged. So let's keep doing that and God will bless us all in Jesus' name. So we are part of a series on the purpose and power of time. We started that last month. And the first four weeks of the, month, of the series, we looked at the purpose of time. And uh, if I can have the banner this week, Uh, This month, basically last week, we started on the second segment, which covers parts five to nine, as you can see in the banner. And uh, we have uh, session six now, which is the handling priorities and distraction, which means that we are on the second of the power of time. Okay, we started last week on the power of time by living, looking at living purposefully, living uh, uh, purposefully for in time as the first section and then this section we're looking at handling priorities and uh, distraction this is a very important topic today for anyone who is going somewhere last week we said purposeful living means you know you are going somewhere you are focused on it and you are going there but one of the things that we must understand is that we must have the capacity to handle priorities, to know priorities and handle them and know distractions and handle them if we're going to arrive where God wants us to go. And throughout this week, as usual, we'll be looking at the different things that we ought to do that God will want us to uh, do to make sure that we keep our focus. You see, we, the reason I believe God laid it on my heart that we looked at purpose and power of time is that time helps us to fulfill purpose, but also time empowers us to do things. The time we're in now is empowering us to be in fellowship. That's just as simple as that. 
Whilst that opportunity is given to us, we have to leverage it and then get the power that comes from it. But it is something that time gives. And then the purpose of it is fellowship. So every minute of your life, whether it is in, in rest or in relationship or in work or in relating with your spouse, relating with your children, relating at work, whatever it is, there is a purpose for that time. And then we should look at engaging with also the power that comes out of doing time under that purpose. So this is what it means for us to understand the purpose and power of time. So in this second segment of the power of time, we're looking at how we have power in time to handle, to, to handle our priorities, organize our priorities, and also to deal with distractions. You see, what we must understand is that God gave us an example right from the beginning in Genesis 1. He told us how to display how to understand priorities. If you look at the story of creation in Genesis 1, we don't turn to it, but you can read it from verse 1 to verse 27. It talks about how God created the heavens and the earth. And then the earth was without form, it was void. Verse 2, we read that. And then, of course, the big theology about what happened between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is not my topic, is not my focus today. But the, the clear thing is that in Genesis 3, order was installed when God said, let there be light, and there was light. And as we carried on in verse 5, it says that the night and the day were the beginning of the first day. And it was it, that is very important for us because that is when God started to show us about how to count time. And then if you look at the work of creation, as I said, please read from verse 3 right down to verse 27. You will see a sequence of prioritization that God performed. The first thing he did after he, he said, let there be light, is that all over the earth had waters. The waters covered the land spaces, so everywhere was water, including the clouds. They were a massive lump on the surface of the earth. And then the Bible says God separated the waters in the firmament from those ones on the ground. So God made condensation possible, pulled the clouds up out of the mass of water that was on the ground. God in his wisdom, to show us the importance of making everything go according to plan. His ultimate plan was to create man for fellowship and to have dominion over this earth. However, he did not put man on that mass of confusion at the beginning. Confusion in quote, of that mass, that lump of water that was just there. He put everything sequentially so that by the time man was appearing, the system was properly set. This is important for us. When we are talking about priorities in life, we must understand that when we have a vision and we see where we are going, that doesn't mean that that thing must be done immediately. There are certain steps you must take to help yourself. And you need to understand the wisdom of God the same way he ordered creation up to the, man, the time man was created. So he separated the, the, the clouds from the seas. And then when the seas were now just the body of water that should remain on the ground was now there. It was still all water. Then he separated land. He commanded the seas to go one place. And then they opened up and land was available. And the moment land was available, he now put plants and vegetations on the land. And as soon as he put the plants and vegetations on land, he now created the sun. This is why scientists tell us today that what keeps going, what keeps the plants going is the process of photosynthesis, isn't it? 
You see, God knew for photosynthesis before the first <laughs> scientist ever thought about it. God put sun there so that that plant, those plants he has created, the sun will now be giving them light and enough heat to make them able to reproduce. He created them, put the seed in them, but they needed that process to go. So he put the sun to govern by day and the moon to govern by night and all the stars as well. And then he put creatures in the seas. And then he put creatures on the land. And then subsequently, when all those creatures were in place and everything was now set, man was now made. So when you have time and you read it, I've gone through that because I want you to see the very, very important need to understand priorities. We, ha we have said this so many times. We are a generation that does not usually understand our priorities. You know, I was speaking to my wife just this morning before coming out. I said, the number of people I speak to in my home country who have the latest iPhones every time used to amaze me. And some of these phones, they buy them for the same, if I'm more than we buy them here. My phone is iPhone 7, don't record that, but my phone is iPhone 7. <laughs> and some of those boys troubling me to give them money, they are using iPhone 12 Max. <laughs> what is priority? <laughs> no priority. A man is looking for work. A man is trying to start out his career. He's trying to understand how life is going to shape out. And, and he's carrying about iPhone 12 Max Pro. <laughs> that man has no idea what priority. Because he's holding his, in his hand enough capital to start a business in that country. It's true. He's holding in his hand enough money to have capital to start a business that can feed him <laughs> and grow. Hallelujah. That's just a side, but you see, we need to understand how to. It, there is a time for everything. We have been talking about this for weeks. And priority is wisdom. That there is a time for everything needs, means we need to know what time we are using to get to where God wants us to get to. So, prioritization involves, I define it, as a process of conducting activities in their order of relative importance over time. Conducting activities in their order of relative importance over time. Not that those activities are not important, but they are conducted in order of relative importance. So the land is created before you put shrubs on it. The land is created before you put animals on it. And obviously the animals are there and the shrubs are there before you bring man so that man can have something to eat from those things. Praise the Lord. So this is what priority is. We need to know how to handle priorities and we need to know how to also deal with distractions. Distractions are basically people or matters that seek to derail our focus. There's a place we are going but the work of distraction whether they be people, whether they be events, whether they be matters, whatever they are, events, anything whatsoever that just is looking after derailing our attention from the focus that we should have. This is what we must continue to fight against. Paul taught us to understand priorities. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, I want to start reading from there. The Bible says, Paul speaking, he said, all things, somebody say with me, all things, all 
Say it again. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Now, you need to understand what he's trying to say here. He said all things are lawful. I can do all things. I can do anything I want to do. I can make the shrubs grow. I can make the, the land come out of the seas. I can put animals on them. But not all things are expedient. Not all things are helpful. If I do what is wrong at the right time, it is not going to be helpful to me. Even if I do what is right, it is right, but the time is wrong, it, it will not be helpful to me. Do you understand? So it's not only about doing something wrong. But you can be doing something right. That, like I said about the, the, the phone, jokingly, not that the phone is bad. I want to get one at a point myself, but you, uh, in my typical way, I wait for when the price is reasonable. <laughs> yes, that's how I buy all my phones. I don't rush with everybody. I wait when their eyes are clear. <laughs> I buy my own. I use it for another five years or so. And life goes on. But it's a good phone. For me personally, in my profession, it would help me because it does quite a lot of things that, I, that would enhance what I do in my consulting business. So it's a good phone. But my point is that there's nothing wrong with the phone. I'm not against the phone, but the, the priority, the reality is what is, is it a priority to the person who is holding one now at the price they're selling it? Some of those prices can build you a one-bedroom bungalow in some of those countries. I'm very serious. It will just remain for you to roof it. <laughs> it will almost build everything. You just need to roof it. <laughs> One phone. <laughs> Hallelujah. He said, not all things edify. Not all things are helpful. So we must understand what is helpful to me. What is edification to me. So we are enjoying to emulate the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12. When we talk about Jesus' focus and uh, his, his victory and power over destruction, we cannot eliminate Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12.1 gives us some insight as to who he is. The Bible says, uh, in, we're going to read from verse 1. The first thing we want to see here is that we must recognize sin, weights, and all the technicalities of our life's race. Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. When the Bible talks about cloud of witnesses, we must understand that he is telling us that all the examples we have seen, examples of those that have gone ahead of us, especially those documented in scripture, they are cloud of witnesses. There is no point repeating the errors of David because I'm named David. I can't say because my name is David now. I can just live exactly like it. I look at, I'm surrounded by his witness. And every time I study the scripture, I must continue to lay aside every weight. The things he did not lay aside have caused him a lot of pain and havoc in his time. I must lay it aside when I find them in my life. This is how we must understand. He said, let us lay aside every sin and every weight. These are things that are just out to continuously slow us down. The Bible says, let us lay them aside and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Every one of us must understand. We don't turn to it, but 1 Corinthians 
He said, don't you know that everyone who runs in a race runs all and they run so as to obtain a prize? He said, so if you want to obtain your prize, run your race in such a way that you obtain it. Somebody say, in such a way. Say strategy. The life journey is a journey of strategy. The Christian race is a journey of strategy. You, you will need to run fast at times. You will need to fast sometimes. I mean physical fasting. You pray sometimes. You praise sometimes. You worship sometimes. You fellowship sometimes. It's all part of the journey that you are running. And then you are letting go of distractions of sin and weights. I believe everybody in this church by now knows the difference between sin and weights. Sin is sin. We know anything that is commanded by God that we should not partake of is sin. But weights are not necessarily things that God said we shouldn't do. Anything that is permissible, but we are finding that it is coming into excess into our lives, has become a weight. Everything like, you know, sleep, as good as sleep can be. There is, a, there is a degree of sleep that when you start to enter, that means you are overdoing it. There is a degree of food, while food is good for the body, that when you start to do it uh, and you are eating like that, it becomes a weight. There is a degree of everything, even bodily exercise that profits little. I've seen people who are very addicted to body fitness. Whilst it is a good thing, it can come to a point where it becomes an addiction and it's not so good. So we need to understand those kind of weights and not allow them to hold us back. He said we should run with endurance the race that is set before us. Then verse 2 in Hebrews 12, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Somebody say, for the joy that was set before him. Everyone must understand that in their race, you must continuously have the joy set before you. The joy that is set, that should be set before every believer is the promise that we will be with him one day. The joy of eternal life outside this life. The joy of eternal rest outside every kind of rest we can have today. That should keep us going. Every believer that loses a sight of heaven will always be tired. You cannot be tired if you keep the prize in your view every day. Ask any athlete, the moment they say, unto your marks, set, go, the next picture in their mind is the gold medal that they want to wear. All of them. So they fire themselves up and fire themselves up with that picture and fire themselves up. And then finally, if you notice, when they see that final line, where it is clear that that is the deal breaker. Every one of them gives it whatever they can. If they collapse after they cross it, it doesn't matter anymore. But they give it every full blast because that is what makes you obtain. That's what Paul was saying. He said, run it in such a way. Strategize. Keep seeing it. When you can't see it physically, see it very well in your, in your inner mind that you have a joy that is set before you. It helps you to overcome distractions of people who want to get into, uh, you know, rancorous relationship with you, who like to just fight and, and, and pull things. You find that you don't have time for that. It preserves your destiny. <laughs> Joseph had a dream of the throne. 
you know, twice God showed him. So by the time they were putting him in the pit, he didn't bother himself because he knew that somehow, somehow, there is that throne that is waiting for him. He didn't argue. When they took him and sold him into slavery, we never heard him shouting against his brothers, oh, is this what you're going to do to me? I had a dream, remember? I'm meant to go to the throne, remember? No, he said nothing. He said nothing because those things don't matter. As long as he kept on seeing the throne. As long as he kept on seeing the throne. When Potiphar's wife came and, you know, tried to lure him into sin, he said, no, I won't do this and sin against God because the one who is taking me to the throne is much more than this thing you want me to do. And so we must continue to run in such a way that we obtain. And Jesus showed us in many cases that he is our example of focus and tenacity of purpose. The Bible says he endured the cross. He despised the shame. Let's look at verse 2 again. He endured the cross and despised the shame. Endurance is one thing, despising is another thing. Many times as believers, we don't usually talk about despising much because we, we think despising just means we ignore. Largely so. But there is an aspect of not ignoring that we need to learn as well. Even from Jesus Christ himself. I'll give you some examples in the course of the week because of time today. I won't go into those details. But in the course of the week, I will show you in detail some examples by the grace of God of how we need to know how to despise the shame. Listen, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God. That is Romans 1.16. Now, that means that there is something that always likes to put the believers to shame. That is why you will see so many promises of scripture, you shall not be put to shame. Have you read that many times in scripture? You shall not be put to shame. Because there is something that wants to humiliate the believer. There is something, the same way our Lord and Master was humiliated in quote, is the same spirit till today that wants to put believers to shame. If only he learned that one lesson, that what he thought he was doing to Jesus, the Bible says if only he had known, he would not have bothered to crucify the Lord of glory. But he still doesn't know. He still doesn't know. So every believer must understand that as Jesus despised the shame and now got to be sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God, we must always learn to despise the shame. I'll talk a little bit about endurance later on. Look at this. You can take off the scripture now. Look at this. Look at this. When the, um, in, in Mark chapter 11, in Mark chapter 11, don't turn to it, but if you remember, when Jesus saw that tree, at the time it should be bearing fruit, and he approached it with his disciples. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ himself coming with his disciples? Let's go, let's go get some fruits from that tree. And then suddenly he gets to the tree, and here was a barren tree, fruitless tree facing him. Basically, putting, trying to put him to shame. The Bible says he did what? He cursed it. He cursed it. Now, some of you will say, ah, uh, Pastor, but the Bible says bless and do not curse. Yes. But if Jesus cursed certain things, then you should know that there are some things you are permitted to curse. Because it's our example. He didn't curse any human being. But he cursed things that were trying to humiliate him. He cursed that tree. He said, let no one eat from you again forever. And they went on to Bethany. When they came back the next day, the, the, his disciples were shocked. They said, the tree that you cursed yesterday, it has withered. That is when he now told them that just 
no one thing. That if you say to a mountain, somebody say, if you say to a mountain. So if a mountain is trying to stop you and trying to constitute a hindrance on your path, Jesus said, you must say to that mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. So there are things that you must understand that while they are trying to distract you and put you to shame, you must, of a necessity, open your mouth and curse them. You must, of a necessity, open your mouth and ask them to leave your way. This is what Jesus taught us there. And you see, every one of us must understand that there are things that God will do, there are things that we must do. Isaiah 54 verse 17. He said that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Somebody said that is his own business. Say that is his own business. That is his own work to do. Say that is God's work to do. Aha, I noticed that as I'm explaining it, your voice is going up. So, okay, that is God's work to do. Say it with me. That is God's work to do. Okay? He said no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Hallelujah. Say that is God's work to do. Then he said, any tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Say, that is my work to do. The only problem is always remember that we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Because if you face flesh and blood, the spirits are still there. You are wasting your time. The tongue that is wagging against you and telling you that you cannot make it or is condemning your work all the time, is being manipulated by some spirits which you need to confront. The devil will want you to stay focused on that tongue. When he said, no, that tongue, you shall condemn. You are fighting Bill and uh, fighting uh, Bobby. <laughs> it is not Bill and Bobby. There is a spirit working in Bill and Bobby that they don't even know about. Then you go to your closet and curse that spirit. The great man Elisha that we talked about after he got that double portion of the anointing and he went back to the Jordan and it parted. You can read it also, 2 Kings chapter 2. And the thing parted hither and thither for him. The moment he got to the other side, the sons of prophets saw him. Again, those people who were trying to discourage him from getting all the way to Jordan, they saw him again. They say, where is the great servant of God? Maybe God took him somewhere. Let's go and look for him. He said, don't worry. They say, let's go and look for him. He said, no. He said, okay, go and look for him. <laughs> you read it in your Bible. And they went for three days. When they did not find him, they came by. He said, I told you not to. So at times, you just deal with some minor distractions like that. But when he was now going, he was now heading out to Samaria. The Bible says that some 42 very, very, you know, uh, rough boys, young boys, came out to him. And they were shouting, oh, go up, bald head. Oh, bald head. And he initially did not respond to them, but they continued. They persisted. The Bible says he turned to them and he cursed them. And she bears came out and devoured them all. Every one of us must understand that in life, we have, say, I have a responsibility to put a stop to everything that is trying to stop me. That is what believers should be. Believers, I agree, if you have just been born again and you are trying to understand spiritual things and you, you are just understanding, you are just coming up, new creation realities, we, te we teach you this. So when you run to people every time and they pray for you, there's no problem. We teach you those things. And then we say, this is what you do. This is how you take your authority. You have authority, right? And you say, I have. Yes, you have. Just speak to the mountain. And then they, they learn it. You show them the scriptures. And you do this same explanation I've given to you. Then their confidence starts to rise. Their confidence starts to rise. But I am concerned when a believer is one year in the faith, two years in the faith, five years in the faith, ten years in the faith, 
and still has to keep running to everybody every time, running to prophets, to pastors, to evangelists, to this, before they can rebuke the littlest things in their lives, it is concerning. That is not God's will. God's will is for us to know how to condemn the works of darkness. God's will is for everyone. Say God's will for me is, is to know how to condemn the works of darkness. And so it is so important for us to know how to take authority. The Bible says he despised the shame. The same way you saw him speak to that tree that was trying to put him to shame is the same way you must understand what you need to put to shame in your life that is trying to put you to shame. And you will keep having victory in Jesus' name. We have so many examples. Like I said, we can't go through them all. The same thing happened to Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. Remember that story? They got to Philippi and they were preaching well. And then this young girl comes out. Now this was looking like a kind of a positive thing. This girl was not saying these are devils or these are people. He said these are the servants of the Most High God who have come to show us the way of salvation. Acts chapter 16 verse 16. He said they have come to show us the way of salvation. They have come to show us the way of salvation. And if you are not discerning, you will say, oh, in fact, if it is in our day, they would have made her deaconess of, uh, the, <laughs> of the church. <laughs> Straight, they would just say, you are from today. You are, in fact, God bless you. But the man who knew that that spirit was not a right spirit, the Bible says Paul came. Again, he rebuked the spirit. And if you read the Bible, verse 18, the Bible says, and he left her. Somebody say, he left her. The spirit is the he, and left her. Do you get my point? He said, and he left her. I, I saw that as a wow. <laughs> Hallelujah. So there is a spirit, there is a spirit that you always have to confront and you need to identify them in your personal lives, in your families, in your career, in your, everybody goes through them and we must know how to take our authority. That's why when the Bible talks about the weapon of our warfare, he said we should carry what the sword of the spirit. You don't use a sword to defend yourself, you use a sword to attack. You use a sword, the word of God. He said, which is the word of God? You say, no, this is what God has said concerning me. When that voice tells you that that medical condition cannot change, you say, no, it is written like this, and this is what the word of God said concerning me. Hallelujah. So we must remain the example of focus and tenacity of purpose like Jesus Christ. And then in verse 3, Hebrews 12, 3 now, the Bible says... For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, <laughs> lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Consider him who endured. He endured. We need to know how to endure. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 9, we should not be weary while doing good. Endurance is a virtue. It's a fruit of the spirit that we must have. It is a product of patience. It, it is developed in us the more we learn to be patient with God. We grow inner strength that does not make us tired. I want you to know, friends, anyone who is going to achieve anything for God, for good or for God, in these times must be a person who can endure. Things will discourage you. Life will discourage you. Life will speak things that will, the, the circumstances, the environment will try to make you see why you should give up. So when you see people who are achieving, they are not achieving because they are luckier. 
they are achieving because they can endure. Anything you see that is good has a history of a degree of endurance. Even if it was one minute. But in many times, it's longer than one minute. <laughs> it has a history of endurance to it. So every one of us must understand that if we are to be people who will make progress in time, we must know how to overcome distractions by endurance. And God will continue to help us in Jesus' name. He said, don't be weary while doing good because you will reap after some time if you faint not. If you faint not. How many of brothers here will agree that your wife did not say yes the first time? One of my very close friends, he said the wife gave him, when, when he met her and he said, God is speaking to her about it, he said, the woman said, okay, he said, can I visit you at home? This was in our days, no, no telephone, nothing. Say, can I visit you at home? Say yes, give me a piece of paper, let me take your address. The girl gave her a wrong address, he gave him a wrong address. <laughs> that story I will never forget. So he went all the way, went to the way God guy say, I'm looking for so he say this person doesn't live here. <laughs> and they have been married today almost twenty years now. <laughs> gave, gave him a wrong address. But the man didn't give up. He went and looked for her again. Went to that same place he saw her the first time. Waited and waited. When she came, he said, why did you do this to me? <laughs> to cut the long story short, they got married and the rest is history, as we say. But you know this, the truth? Most men will tell you they endured. You, you ladies know what you do. You say, no. You say, God has not spoken to me. If I get out of here... <laughs> But the man who is convinced keeps coming back. He keeps coming back. He keeps coming back. And the same way, you will find that most things in life need you to be able to endure, especially the work of the ministry. Hey. So, if we are talking about distractions, it is one thing to know how to see them. It is another thing to know how to endure through their opposition. And God will continue to give us grace in Jesus' name. I will quickly share with you some what I call sources of distractions and disorderliness. These things can easily come and make us lose our sense of prioritization or just distract us completely. The first thing is worries of life. Say with me, worries of life. I'll use an example that may surprise you, but I'm sure you will understand by the Spirit of God. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Say so now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha, somebody say the woman named Martha, welcomed him into her house. So Martha was the one that welcomed him into their house. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And then in verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, look at what? Sorry, let's go back to it. But Martha was what? Martha was what? Now, she thought she was doing something right, but the Bible said she was actually distracted with much serving. And she approached Jesus and said, 
Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And verse 41. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. Somebody say, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken from her. One thing is needed. The good part is that you stay at my feet and learn. That is the most important thing. Now, will somebody now say that what Martha was trying to do to serve everybody food and to make them, you know, comfortable, was that a wrong thing? No, it was not wrong, but it was out of order. It was not the priority. The priority is to sit at Jesus' feet. How many times have you read in scripture when Jesus, after teaching for long, he will say, where do we find food to give to these people? Have you heard that before? Did you hear that before in John chapter 6? When he asked them, how do we find food to give to these people? Jesus knows that people need food. What Martha did not understand is that all they needed to do was to stay at his feet. When the time for food comes, Jesus knows how to say, now it's time for food. Do you get my point? But she was worried and troubled about many things. Now, every one of us must understand this from our, in our personal lives. When we are worried and troubled about the things that we should cast to the master, we are wasting our time. While those things may be essential, when you have bills to pay, when you have targets to meet, when you have interviews to do, when you have things that are important that you have to attend to, yes, they are there that you have to do, but if you start to get worried about them and not allow Jesus, not allow the word of God to lead you, what you will find is that it will be frustrating like Martha. Martha said, Don't you, won't you tell her to come and help me? So she was getting frustrated. Not because Mary sat down, but because even though she was running around trying to please people, there was no fulfillment in it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, every one of us must understand clearly that worries of life and things that bring anxiety are not God's plan for us. They can easily distract us and make us disorderly. What we need to do is to cause the word of God and the things of God to be our priority. We will still talk about how to seek first the kingdom of God before we close this session today, but I just want you to understand this very importantly. Everybody has a potential to worry. That's why you will see many times Jesus will say, do not worry. Mark 6.25. Matthew uh, um, 6.25, sorry. Matthew 6.25. He said, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. He said, these things that the Gentiles are running after is the same things. These things that you are running after, if you are worried, is the same thing the Gentiles are running after. Do not worry. So there is no need to worry because your Heavenly Father knows that you need those things. And I pray that God will continue to give us rest in the mighty name of Jesus. Like I said, it is not a gift to know how not to worry. You determine not to worry. It comes to everybody at different levels. Do you know the things you are worrying about now? If you tell some people, they will say, is that all? <laughs> they will say, you mean that is all you are worried about? You say, yes, in fact, it is such a big issue now. That, uh, let me use money as an example, that 10,000 pounds, I don't know where it will come from. Now, to somebody who deals in millions every day, you'll be shocked that 10,000 pounds can be worrying somebody. And for you, somebody will tell you that he's worried about 20 pounds. And you are like, you have been crying for 20 pounds, just using money as a relative term. 
But what I'm trying to say is that there are challenges that are at different levels at different times. The higher you go in life, the more responsibility you have for people's lives, for, for, for people that depend on you, that will depend on you, for people that will have to model after you, for people that could be devastated if something happens to you, whether physically or spiritually. And that in itself can be a worry because you are virtually living in the eye of more people. Praise the Lord. There are certain things at my level now, by the grace of God, that I can just do. Not that they are bad. Not that I'm saying I'll do a bad thing. But I can just do, nobody will know about it because, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just me. But there are certain people who are also, you know, by God's privilege, leading ministry work that cannot attempt to just say that or do that. Because of the level that they are operating. So every one of us must understand. And like I said, it's not that it's a bad thing, but we must not allow worry to come into our lives. Everything that you think you can worry about, God knows before you, were even, before you started worrying, God knows that you needed them. That's his promise. So he will continue to take control. I say he will continue to take control in the name of Jesus. So we must deal with worries of life. Then we must deal with persecutions. Today, earlier on, Romatias read for us 2 Timothy 3 from verse 1 to verse 16. I'm just going to read from verse 10 now to 15. But, you know, it was talking about an end time thing that will happen. And he said we should be very careful. Many people will be deceived. Many people will be deceiving and many people will be deceived. But 2 Timothy 3.10 says concerning those persecutions that will come, he said, but you have carefully followed my doctrine Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, thank you, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Econom, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them all, somebody say out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Paul was telling Timothy, he said, you have followed me through all these towns and all the persecutions there. And you yourself can witness that out of them all, the Lord delivered me. That is to say, don't be distracted by persecutions. In verse 13, he said, but you see, if, sorry, verse 12 now, let's go to verse 12. Verse 12. Go back to verse 12. Thank you. He said, yes. Let's read verse 12 together. Yes. And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. These are some verses that believers don't like to read. <laughs> or they try to give it another revelation. <laughs> that actually that persecution means something. No, it doesn't mean anything else. Real persecution is only in different degrees from country to country. Some people will say, oh, you know, eh, China, the Christians in China, it's true, they, they do underground church and they're really persecuted. They share pages of scriptures like we have heard all those wonderful brethren and how they keep going, you know, moving like a, an intelligence network from place to place so that they don't get caught by governments that just will kill them if they found them doing that. I believe things are gradually improving, but it's still not there. That is a level of persecution. There are persecutions where there are still beheading of Christians going on today in our world, in some countries, by, by different sects and different religions that just attack the Christian faith. But in the country we are in today, we don't have that kind of physical brutality. But we have legal systems 
precepts and you know laws and very very gentle guidelines that have been introduced to stifle the message <laughs> they are still persecution there's still persecution you can come out and say anything on social media and say this is who you are and this is what you believe and this is what you do but if you just say Jesus saves and everyone who is not saved will go to hell, somebody can take you on that you are infringing into somebody else's personal space. <laughs> it's persecution. God's servant Franklin Graham was supposed to come here before COVID. Remember, we all mobilized in 2019. We worked very, very hard to make it happen. Actually, it was 2020. We started late 2019. Then it was to happen in 2020. But if you remember, more than seven places in this country took Billy Graham Evangelistic Association to court. By the grace of God, all those cases have been won to the glory of God. Let's give the Lord a big hand of praise. And believers stood up and prayed and prayed and prayed. Because of some of the bold things he has made in proclamation from scriptures. Not attacking anybody, but simply reading the Bible and saying that this is what God said. This is the standard of God. So there is still persecution. And believers must understand that while we may look like we are in a free world and in a world of liberty today, we have to keep praying and keep enduring persecutions because they will keep distracting us. Many believers are afraid to be ruffled. And like I said many times, if you read Acts 1, 2, 3, the whole book of Acts, but Acts 1 to Acts chapter 4, I tell you, if you read it constantly, it will make you sober and know why we must step up. Because I ask myself, those were the first set of Christians, as it were. I asked myself, if they did not endure all those beatings, if they all gave up at that time, if they all said, nah, this is not worth it. Jesus left us. We were not beaten like this before he left. And all those things, and they stopped. We would have had no hope today. Where every time we thank God for Jesus Christ, we must thank God for those ones who were foundational. And so much it be for generations to come. This is why when we acquire properties like this and we take grounds like this and we, God gives, helps us to have influence with other churches in town and create a healthier atmosphere of our community, having the voice of God in different locations at different places, we do our bit. When we leave the scene, Jesus starting to come 20 years later, 30 years later, 40 years later, the saints who are coming then will say, thank God for our fathers and our mothers who were visionary, spent their money to acquire properties like this for us spend their time and their energy to create a foundation for what was to come for our own generation. This is what we must continue to endure. He said, but don't forget, verse 14, evil men, he said, you must continue, verse 13 now. He said, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. They will grow. You may think that they are, they are, their voice is going down, but like I said, they are only changing strategy. They are only changing strategy. And many of them are putting on, you know, sheep's clothing. They are wolves, but they are putting on sheep's clothing. And they are deceiving many today. It is sad when you look at the level of deception that is going on in the body of Christ, sadly, today. Many people are being deceived with things that are unfounded from Scripture because of people's greed, because of people's selfish desires. The Bible says we should not allow those things. He said, but rather, you must continue. Somebody say, you must continue. Look at your neighbor and say, you must continue. 
if they are your spouse, say you have no choice. You have to continue. <laughs> Hallelujah. You must continue in the things which you have learned. You must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Look at my example. God delivered me from those things. So you must continue. He said, and also that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. You have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We must use the Scriptures we have known and we must continue to encourage our children to learn the Scriptures because when they grow, they will not depart from it. And may God continue to help us in Jesus' name. The third thing I want to say is that we must also be careful of worldly affairs, worldliness, and carnality. These are the things that can bring distractions. They don't look bad in themselves because they look like things that we should do normally. But we have to be very careful. Frivolities, unimportant things, not so important things, even though they may be right to do. We need to know how to prioritize them in the scheme of things. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Look at this story. Luke 9.57, the Bible says, Jesus, when it happened that as they journeyed on the road, someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. That was interesting. Look at, let's read what Jesus said in verse 58. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has what? Nowhere to lay his head. So if you think that this journey is a journey of uh, form fear, if you think this journey is a journey of sleeping in five-star hotels, you better hear from now. <laughs> better hear from now. The Son of Man doesn't have a particular fixed address to lay his head. He will lay his head wherever it comes. What Jesus was trying to say there is that this is a journey of faith. This is a journey of faith. This is a journey that you must not be looking out for your personal interests. Many believers have come to the Lord and uh, they were told when they got born again, that as soon as they give their lives to Christ, everything will be okay and God will be solving all their problems and things. And they got all those promises and they were if, nobody will be told that all your life will be sorted and not take whatever it is they're offering you. So they took it. So the very first challenge that many of them and the devil knows how to keep them out of those challenges for many months. And then suddenly something happens. They say, ah, but I was told that none of, <laughs> none of these things are supposed to happen to me. Then they backslide. Many, many people have backslidden like that because it's false doctrine. He said, in this world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I've overcome. That is the correct gospel. He said, those who desire to live godly in this world will suffer persecutions. That is correct gospel. Does that mean we should be looking for persecutions and be afraid of persecution? No, we should just live prepared. We should just live ready because the Bible says, yeah, though I walk through the valley, I walk through, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Somebody say, we'll come out at the other end. Say, we will come out at the other end. More than conquerors. In Jesus' name. So he said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay. He said, just to quickly tell that person that you need to be a person of focus and a person that doesn't look at. Anybody that is called into any aspect of ministry must live like this. You will have questions. Lord, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? As long as he's telling you to go, like I've always said, when he says step out of the boat to walk on water, it is your responsibility to take the step out of the boat and put your foot on water. But it is his responsibility to keep you walking. 
So don't try and do the two. You can't do the two. Your brain is not big enough to do the two. No science can help you do the two. So you must know where your limit stops by stepping out. If you don't step out, he can't step out for you. So every one of us must understand this. And in verse 59, then another one said, follow me. Verse 60, he said, but said, Lord, let me, Jesus said to him, sorry, go back to verse 59, 59, thank you. Then he said to another, follow me, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Which looks like a reasonable thing to say. A father dies, you know, you can only bury your father once. If, if somebody marries twice, he may, he may in his life, some people have in their life buried wives twice. They have buried, some people sadly have buried children once or twice. They can, you can bury every, any born, any multiple times, but you can only bury your only biological father in life once. So it's a good thing to go and do. But look at what Jesus said in verse 60. Let's read verse 60 together. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you do what? Go and preach the kingdom of God. Go and do the important things. Prioritize the important things. Now, Jesus was not saying that it is bad to bury one's father. That is not what he's saying. But if you make that your priority, then you will lose the fact that the most important thing is for you to go preach the kingdom, to go do the work that God sent you. About exactly a week ago today, I believe all of us are aware now, so I can say it more confidently, not like last Sunday. Very early hours of the 1st of August, my father went to be with the Lord in glory. And uh, believe it or not, I was called at 6 a.m. by my brother-in-law, which I was still knock his head one day when I see him anyway, <laughs> for calling me at that time of the day, <laughs> to tell me about it. But I'm sure he knew that he could deliver such a message to me. 6 a.m., last Sunday, 1st of August. And um, when he told me about it, I said, okay. The way he started the story, he said dad was a bit ill uh, last night and uh, the nurse, we had a nurse that was looking after him, said the nurse was there and uh, I was just waiting. Then the Holy Spirit told me, he said, your dad's gone. Before he even said it. And then he said, yeah, but that um, actually at about 4 a.m., it's like, you know, it was confirmed. I said, dad's gone. He said, yes. <laughs> I said, okay, praise God. He's gone to rest in glory. And um, I thanked him and I said, speak to my sister later. I said, I'm going to call you guys at about 2 p.m. or so. Then we can take it from there. That now I'll just prepare for service and go. And in all honesty, um, it was mixed feelings. Of course, when you lose a man you've known all your life, who's made so much impact on you, it can be very difficult. But you know, the first thing I remembered is that if my dad could speak from heaven, immediately after I was told, if he could speak from heaven to me, I'm sure the first thing he would say is, son, go preach. <laughs> I'm very, very sure the first thing he would say is, son, make sure you go to church now and go preach. Handle everything later on. Because that was his life. I told you about mama's letters. That would be four pages when I was in secondary school. Four pages of many things about the house. But dad's letter will be half a page at the back of those four pages. And that's later will be, hello son, God bless you. Read your Bible, pray every day, <laughs> go to church, work very hard. See you soon. That, that is that's letter for you. So I used to read it while standing in the dining hall. I read that one first. I carry mama's four pages to my bed at night. <laughs> and I could hear those voices again from many, many years ago tell me, go preach, go do the work, go do the work. Jesus said to that man, 
you go preach the kingdom first. Please, this has nothing to do with not showing respect or saying that we, we don't respect. That's not it at all. But it has everything to do with us understanding that we don't mourn like those who have no hope. We shouldn't mourn. It's just a matter of time we'll be together again. So why do we mourn and cry as if that is the end of it? No. The Bible says we who have hope are going to shed this skin and this body of mortality for immortality. He has done his bit. He has taken his own skin of immortality and I can just be grateful to God for him. So I should also do everything I can that when my time comes, Jesus starting to come, when my time comes, I would also shed mine. So every one of us must live like this. So it is important for us to understand that we need to develop our strength in being able to let off worldly things for godly things. To bury a person is a worldly thing. The man or woman has gone. In fact, from the minute he, he stopped breathing, he left here. When people come and say, oh, see, Papa, he's not Papa again. <laughs> papa is gone from there. You are looking at, a, at, at what he left, his remains, the carcass, which you are going to commit back to Mother Earth, where it came from. So let us understand how it all flows. Having said that, also, you, you do what is right to give them a befitting end as much as God enables you to just celebrate their life. And another said to him in verse 61, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. (laughs) He said he wants to go and say bye-bye. That is the one I used to doubt very much. You have left home. When you left home, didn't you say (laughs) bye-bye? Didn't you say bye-bye when you were leaving home? Then why are you going back to say bye-bye again? There's a a proverb in my local dialect that you don't go to a, to a place to, and say bye-bye and bye-bye again. Once you say bye first time, you keep going ahead. He said, let me go and bid them farewell. And Jesus said, verse 62, Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand. Let's read verse 62 together, very important. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Say to your neighbor for me, keep looking forward. There are many things in your past that will want to make you look back. Keep looking forward. God has so arranged this series for us. Next three Sundays, we'll be looking at the power of yesterday, the power of today, and the power of tomorrow. Wonderful things God will be speaking to us, I believe. There is something from your past that should be understood, from your yesterday that should be understood, and you can leverage the power of it. But it should not hinder your looking forward to tomorrow. Hallelujah. So that will be for next week. Finally, I want to conclude this. Making God and his kingdom our utmost priority helps us to have orderliness and focus in life. I said this last week, but I said it very carefully, even though some brethren still managed to pick it up, that the greatest legacy my father gave me is the legacy of the faith. I say it boldly, every country I've been, everywhere I've been, by the grace of God, and I've traveled a bit. This faith that he gave me, I can never, ever thank him enough. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 31, again, he said, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? I never, in over 50 years, I never heard that man complain about lack. 
Never. And I know there were times that there was no physical money there. But God will always come through. There was a time we were in the United States. He had finished his doctorate degree. We needed to go back home. This was the year 1980. I was only 11 years old. We needed to go back home. We were, he was on a scholarship and we were his dependents. He was on the federal government of Nigeria scholarship so that you can know that Nigeria has had problem for many years. 1980, 1980. For some reason, somebody refused to send, he sent one ticket. He sent my father's ticket, my mother, myself, my sister, no tickets. <laughs> what happened? My there was no telephone, nothing. My father called and um, wrote letters, did faxes or telegrams, they were those days, did telegrams and did, nobody said anything. The church had done a sent forth for us like this. The first Baptist church we used to attend where I got baptized. So we couldn't go back. It was embarrassing to go back to church again the following Sunday when we were assured that we were flying out on Thursday. So the following Sunday, we didn't go to church. We just prayed and just said, hopefully the thing will come the following week. And then one person saw me in town. I went to town to get some groceries or something on my bike. And he stopped his car, virtually screeched and stopped. I said, David, what are you still doing? I said, we're still here. We haven't gone anywhere. And he was the one, well, that's a, a church member. He was the one that went and told the church brethren that the, the locals were still around. And before we knew it, they all came. Now, all our monies had stopped. There was no grocery. We had distributed many things. Even the only car we had, my dad had given it to the church for the youth fellowship to be using. So there was nothing. When you are living a place, you know you don't have anything left. You would have moved virtually. So that night they brought groceries, brought things for us. And I was just all struck by it. Because my father never said anything to anybody. Not out of pride, but just, you know, a case of hoping that this thing will come and we'll just gently leave. Anyway, when they brought those things, they also bought our tickets. They bought our tickets. And that's how we flew back to Nigeria. When my father got home, he went straight to that office. <laughs> Pray for that country. Pray for that country. Things have been very wrong for a long time. But the truth is, I learned from him from that one simple, one simple, among many, many times, but that once, how a man still keeps so much focus and so much poise and trust God to the point where God suddenly comes through in such powerful way. Tell your neighbor for me, do not worry. Do not worry about what you will eat and what you will wear. Because Jesus said, say everything, because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. As simple as this verse is, it is the pinnacle of my life and my wife, my family, this is how we live. We understand that there are many things, cars, houses, good health, good life, many things, many things we cannot number, but Jesus has already said all these things. So we put ourselves into seeking first the kingdom. Commit yourself to seeking first the kingdom. And truly, Jesus who cannot lie will make all these things added to you. In the name of Jesus.
you will no longer be distracted. You will no longer be distracted. The kingdom of God and the things of God will be your priority. In the name of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God doesn't just mean attending church or putting church activities first. That is important and good, but it means you make the word of God sovereign over your life. Yeah? Believe only what the word of God says. Don't say this is what the word says, but. No, it doesn't work that way. Don't say, you see, the word of God says I should not worry, but I have to worry about this. Then you have negated it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Anytime the word of God says, just believe what he says. And as you declare it over your situation, you shall have everything God wants you to have in Jesus' name. Let's rise to our feet and celebrate God. Well, well.